And this is called self-righteous. People in the church do it. People that aren't in the church do it. We want, we want no one to tell us how to live our lives. We want no one to tell us that we're doing wrong. And if someone says we're doing wrong, all of a sudden, they're a bigot. All of a sudden, they're a homophobe. All of a sudden, they're a transphobe. All of a sudden, they are whatever you want to label it. But in reality, the people that love you the most, that are actually speaking scripture and and saying, I cannot affirm what you are doing, is actually being more loving than those that know you're doing wrong and still let you go to where you're headed. So we all have things we want to do that we ought not to do. I used to be addicted to porn, and it still to this day tries to pull me in the direction of my sinful nature, and I have to rebuke that pull on my heart and my mind. The very thing that men have that pull them is usually sight. So when we see something and it looks good, we gravitate towards it. We get pulled towards it very easily. And it's a whole debate thing about whether whether it's women's fault or the men's fault. It can be both. Okay. We should have self-control, but the Bible also talks about not causing your brother to stumble. And when you go out dressing like a whore, oh, excuse me, like a woman who doesn't care if they're sold on the street or not, that is going to produce someone looking and having lust in their heart. So you are spurring them. The Bible says to spur each other to be better, to get closer to God. And if you are doing this and allowing your body to be revealed and seen, and it is causing lust, you have to ask yourself, why are you doing it? And you can't say, well, it's just a trend. Everybody else is doing it because that makes you sound worse. Why are you showing your body in the way that you do? It could be insecurities. It could, you. I mean, people look your way. Obviously, if someone's looking my way, it makes me feel better about myself. It boosts my self-esteem. But then we have to go back to, okay, what's the real cause of this? Well, it's pride. It's I'm, I need to be validated by somebody else. And this is dangerous fruit that can cause serious issues in your life later. So why did the gospel have to happen? Why did Jesus have to come on the scene? Well, the old covenant, we were just too dumb. We couldn't keep it. We kept messing up. We kept messing up. We kept messing up. And so God decided to send his only son to make a way that however bad we mess up, whatever sin we are born into, he sent his son to be that ultimate sacrifice so that just the mention of his name, that we could be forgiven without going through all of the process. And actually, when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, a very physical, a spiritual thing happened, but also a physical aspect of it. Not only did he pour out his blood, not only it says he was bruised for our iniquity, he was, and his blood is for our healing and salvation. And there's, there's all these elements, physical elements for spiritual cures, which is pretty cool. I tell my people all the time that, that God, I believe God gives us spiritual, I mean, physical examples of spiritual principles. And what I mean by that is if you look throughout the Bible, you can see different examples of like uh, uh, most people understand how a seed works. You put it in the ground, you water it, you take care of it, and it grows up. And then whatever is of that seed, whatever it came from is what will grow. So throughout scripture, that type of language is used and actually is still today, all these years later, is still understood very easily by anybody who has even zero understanding of scripture. That whatever you, whatever seed allow to be planted into your heart, that is what will grow out. So Jesus did something very physical 
a, a physical a physical thing for spiritual relief for us. He became the ultimate sacrifice because he was without sin. If you read all the rules and regulations on what they had to sacrifice, there was different ones for different things. And then there was, uh, you know, I tried to follow, I, I've read it, I've studied it, but there are so many rules and regulations. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no wonder. <laughs> there's no wonder why the children of Israel couldn't keep up and follow every single rule that had to be done, every little meticulous thing that, now granted, my attention span is like four out of a hundred, but I would not be the person working on the temple or, or, or doing all the sacrificing or remembering all the rules. It would have to be a group effort on my part because it, it just wouldn't stick. But Jesus came to be that ultimate sacrifice. And so as his body was sacrificed for us, a physical thing where the veil was torn on the temple. And so what that represented was the separation because the, the, the rules and regulations, the, the laws and all the examples and things that came from Moses and that lineage all the way down to where the Jews were living in that day when Jesus was there, they had to follow a certain regimen of things they were allowed to do and things they were not allowed to do. It was so serious that they would put bells on the priests that would go inside of the temple. And if the bell stopped moving, obviously the they did something wrong or they had sin and they would have a rope tied to their ankle. And if the bell stopped moving, they knew that God had struck them dead and they would pull them out. Like that, that's crazy. But then in the very instant where Jesus said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost, and he gave up his spirit, in that moment, every prophecy of the Messiah had come to pass, except for the resurrection. But in that moment, before the resurrection, the veil was torn, which meant now there's no separation between us and God. Now we can boldly come to the throne room ourselves and plead our own case and ask for forgiveness ourselves. So that is the beauty of the gospel, is that it took the old covenant and it created something new and beautiful that isn't about a bunch of rules, but it's wrapped up in mercy and in grace. And if you know anything about mercy and grace, you can't earn it. There's nothing that you can do in your life that can earn another minute in heaven. There's nothing you can do in your life that can earn your salvation. Faith without works is dead. But salvation, it doesn't take works to get salvation, except for confessing with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. And then one of Jesus' first sermons was repent. One of Peter's first sermons out of the upper room in Acts was repent. There is a, a action that follows following Jesus. And so why do we need the gospel? What is so important about the gospel? This is what separates us from every other religion is that we don't have to earn our way into a good place after we die, that it is actually freely given, and that the Jesus that we serve was the hero that then came and died for the villain. Now, this this is totally backwards for what our culture tells us. You step on anybody to get where you need to go. You uh, you got to earn your way. You got to make, make your way however you can, but then the Bible says in the New Testament that actually, to get into heaven, you can't earn that place, that you can't earn salvation, you can't earn mercy and grace, but the gracious, loving God freely gives it anyways. So I wanted to, I wanted to go through, I have a couple of videos, and the reason, the reason that God tells us to run from our sinful nature, to run from things that we maybe want to do that would satisfy our flesh momentarily. Everything that is sinful is only a moment's 
gratification in the now, but will always cause damage down the road. That's why he tells us to leave it alone, to take up our cross, but lay down our sinful nature. We have to die daily so that we can stay in right standing with God. It's not that that makes us saved, but us being saved produces these types of works and fruits and faith that bring out the best in us. Even if you, and this is what's what's kind of funny, people that fight against Christians, because everybody is preaching and teaching about acceptance and love and all this and that, twisting up truth. But as soon as you mention Christianity, they're not accepting or loving of us because actual truth makes those yelling out lies uncomfortable and they cannot stand truth. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It would mean a great deal to me if you download, share, and subscribe so you can be notified every time I put out a new episode. Once again, thank you and see you next time on Faith and Failures.